said this morning, uh, we get to dive into part six of our Asking for a Friend series. Today, uh, we're going to be answering questions about human relationships, uh, questions about interacting with other people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it easier to love God than to love people. Uh, Man, loving God's easy, right? God's for you. He's not against you. He's blessing you. He's got stuff for you. And then we get to people, and not even just people, but sometimes to God's people. You ever had trouble loving one of God's people? Uh, no show of hands. Like, everyone, no, not me. I'm more spiritual than you, pastor. Uh-huh. Uh, you never struggle with that. I know. It's just me. Uh, the reality is sometimes people hurt. Uh, Jesus calls us sheep. Sometimes sheep bite, right? Uh, sometimes sheep kick. Sometimes sheep are, are, are difficult to love. And so today we're going to talk about some human relationships. We're going to talk about how to walk in love and grace and forgiveness uh, when, when things get difficult. As always during this series, if you have a question related to this topic or any other topic, you can text those in to 662-404-2489. That number will be on the screen throughout the service. You you can text those in. We will uh, have a question at the end of service. Dwindle will be selecting the question today. Uh, so get those in, and we'll do one off the top of the head and spontaneous, uh, as we've been doing throughout the series. Very, very quick refresher. Uh, how do we approach these questions as they come in? Number one, when the Bible speaks clearly, I will speak clearly. Uh, there, there are some things that the Bible is just plain black and white about, and we won't apologize for those things. We're going to tell you where to turn in Scripture to get the answer to your questions. Secondly, sometimes the Bible is not quite so clear, but it gives us a biblical principle. It uh, has a different situation, but we believe we can apply that situation to the situation you're asking about. And so when there's a principle, we will seek to apply that biblical principle. And then lastly, uh, some things in life the Bible just doesn't talk about. Uh, and so when the Bible is silent, I will give you my opinion, but I'll make sure you know it's my opinion because you don't have to answer to that, uh, but I won't duck the question. And so next week, we will be answering questions about creation. Uh, uh, and quite a few questions about dinosaurs. We got some teenagers who have not grown out of the seven and eight year old phase that my kids are in where they love dinosaurs. Uh, so we're gonna answer some questions about dinosaurs next week and creation is gonna be a fun, fun time. So if you got any questions along those lines, you can get those in over the next week. Uh, all that being said, let's dive into today's questions. Number one, do you think that a lustful relationship slash friendship can turn into a loving relationship slash friendship. Um, for, first of all, let me say this. If it's a lustful situation, it's probably not a friendship. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a relationship of some sort. Um, so I, I wouldn't define that as a friendship. Uh, maybe this is a situation where these people aren't actually dating, but there is lust on one end. Um, but can that turn from a negative thing, from a hurtful thing, from a harmful thing into a godly thing? So let me give you this answer, and then we'll unpack it a little bit together. I would say it can happen uh, in that anything can happen. Uh, God can restore anything, and he can move in any situation. Uh, but I would say not to count on it. My advice serving in youth ministry and beyond youth ministry over the years has been uh, if two people are in a relationship that turns sexual outside of God's parameters, my, my advice has always been break that thing off. 
um, because it is so hard once lines have been crossed to uncross them. Uh, once you know uh, buttons and triggers and situations and scenarios that lead to a certain place, your flesh is going to take you to those certain places. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't break it off and God can bring that thing back together later on after you've healed and after you've grown and after you've dealt with sin. Uh, but it's really, really hard to deal with sin when you're in a situation that lends itself for you to continue sinning. Um, this doesn't just apply to teenagers. Obviously, it applies to adults as well. For adults, the advice looks a little bit different because I'll say either you need to break it off or you just need to go ahead and get married. Um, I, I've done multiple weddings in our office uh, that were not openly celebrated, but it was like, hey, we're in a situation. We've crossed lines. We love each other, and we believe we're supposed to be together. Um, let, let's just go ahead and do this thing. Uh, and, and so I think that is certainly um, an option. It's not an option on the teenage level. Uh, you don't need to get married right now. Uh, so please don't do them. Pastor said, uh, no, pastor didn't say. Uh, for, for, for the young people, absolutely break it off. For the adult, if it's, if it's a relationship that you do believe, man, God's in this relationship, and he's leading us to a place where we're seeking God together, and we just messed up. We crossed a line. Then let's go ahead and, and, and seal this thing. Uh, and the Bible teaches that specifically. It says, hey, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Uh, and, and so um, I, I think that's a, it's a very biblical application. Um, for the more general situation of, hey, we've just fallen into lust, and this isn't a situation that we're ready to get married. We're not ready to take that step. Um, then let me give you some biblical background for that. Matthew 18, one of the, man, just one of the most dense, rich chapters in Scripture, specifically when it comes to dealing with human relationships, uh, says this, says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Uh, it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. What is Jesus saying? This is Jesus talking, by the way. What is he saying? He, he's not saying that you actually need to mutilate yourself. He, he's not actually telling you to cut off body parts. This is symbolic language. Uh, so when, in Jesus' day and age, I don't think there was confusion about cutting off body parts. I think people understood. Uh, in our day and age, we maybe need to specify that. Uh, that we're, not, we're not cutting stuff off, okay? Uh, what, what are we doing? We're cutting off situations. We're cutting off relationships. We're, we're cutting off things that lead us to a place where we're not following Jesus. Uh, and so oftentimes, if it's a husband who's uh, cheated on his wife or, or been tempted into cheating on his wife with a coworker, I'm like, you just need to quit your job. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how God's going to provide or what the next step is, but you need to get out of that situation right now uh, because you need to cut that thing off. You don't need to continue putting yourself in that, even if you're not going to fall again, which I don't know that any of us can say that with 100% confidence, but you're still putting your wife in the situation where she has to stress about that every day. You are putting incredible strain on your relationship. Um, and so... So cut it off. Uh, and so in a lustful, harmful relationship, I, that, that would be my advice. Now, um, in a marriage relationship, this is not saying, hey, 
cut your spouse off, right? That's a different thing. God says, hey, if I've joined it together, keep it together. So if your spouse is leading you into some sort of sin, we need to work through that and, and pray through that. Uh, but it doesn't mean, hey, that's an excuse for me to, to dip out on my commitment and my covenant with my spouse. So hopefully that addresses that and makes some sense. Next question today, and these kind of transition more into hurts than sin issues. Um, if you meet someone who becomes your accountability partner in reading the Bible and praying or in general with church, and they end up hurting you so bad that you have to cut them off, what do you do? So a uh, situation where you've been accountability partners with somebody, where you've been close to someone on a spiritual level, um, and then something happens, and they don't give me enough detail to be able to speak into any specifics. Uh, so generally, something happens, and that relationship is no longer healthy, it's no longer godly, it's no longer beneficial. What do you do in that situation? Um, give you a, a few steps to take and, and some pieces of advice on this. Uh, first of all, forgive. Uh, whatever past, whatever hurt, whatever someone has done against you, we got, God teaches us we got to forgive, whatever that looks like. Even when someone was a spiritual influence on us and now is a negative spiritual influence on us. Maybe it's the person that led you to Jesus. And, and they've fallen away. I've seen that situation many times where, man, God used somebody to, to bring somebody else to Christ, and then that person who led them to Christ ends up following away, and, and the one who got led to Christ is actually the faithful one, is actually the one who continues to follow Jesus. And there's some confusion there. Man, this is the person who got me to this place, and now they don't even believe. They don't even follow this. They don't even walk it out. Um, we got to forgive. We got to release them. We can't hold that against them. Forgiveness is really for us more than it is for the other person. Uh, it's, it's often been said that, that bitterness, unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Um, and so we got to get rid of that poison. We got to release that thing. So forgive, then I would say let God heal you. Um, Dwindle already referenced 1 Peter 5, 17, right? Like, cast your cares on him because he cares about you. Uh, we got to release those things. we got to let go of those things. And then I would say, move forward. Um, don't, don't let that thing hold you at this place. Don't let that hurt. Don't, don't let that, that betrayal, that uh, abandonment, whatever it might look like, don't let that cause you, hey, this is where my spiritual growth stopped. This is, this is where my progress with Jesus stopped. This is as far as I can go because I don't have this other person in my life. Don't, don't believe that lie. God may have used that person to help you grow, but please don't misunderstand that your growth is only attributable to that person. That, that, that God can only help you grow because that one person, it may have been a, a spiritual leader, a pastor, right? We've seen so many who've been hurt by, by people in leadership. I'm, I've hurt people, and I know... Probably every pastor has hurt somebody. Uh, and the reality is it, it, it happens. We're human. We're, we're flawed. We're broken too. Uh, and, and so if it's someone in that kind of a role and it's like, man, well, if, if they hurt me, if they failed me, if they let me down, then maybe, maybe it's not worth it to keep moving forward. Don't, don't, don't believe that lie. Here's some advice I would give you uh, in any situation like that. Don't let the enemy use old hurts to cause new problems. He's so good at that. He's good at using something that happened in 2014 to keep hurting you today. That's what bitterness does. Bitterness, unforgiveness, allows the enemy to continue to echo out the pain in your life, the destruction in your life, that, that should have been something that was left in the past, but if we can't heal from it, it can continue to affect us for forever. 
And, and, until we allow God to get to that thing, until we bring that wound out to him and allow him to breathe on it and heal it, and, and maybe we need to get help, um, but you've got to choose. I'm not going to let this thing hold me back. I'm not going to let this thing that this other person did to me prevent me from living out God's best in my life. What God has for me is too good. His purpose for me is too significant. His call on my life is too powerful to let someone keep me from walking in his best. You got to make that decision. You got to decide it and push forward. So next question here. Um, how do you recover from relationships that were only around for a season? Whether it be they left on good terms or bad terms, how do you understand their departure isn't a personal reflection of you, but rather their own choice? Uh, well, it, it sounds like this person already knows it here. Uh, and, and so sometimes the challenge is we can know something here but not feel it here. Um, man, we, we, we have the understanding, like, yeah, I know this isn't my fault, but... but the enemy's trying to put guilt on me. The enemy's trying to put shame on me. The enemy's trying to put blame on me. Uh, and, and so, man, when those thoughts come, we got to take those captive. We got to fight. We got to stand against those. We can't sit and dwell in that. We got to stand on the word of God. This is a lie. This, this, this is from the enemy. I'm not going to receive this. I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to incorporate this into my own life. I, I like the way that this question is phrased because this person has an understanding that there are relationships that are designed to come into our life just for a season. Sometimes the season doesn't even end because of somebody else's choice or somebody's sin or brokenness. Sometimes it's just natural. Uh, Kalel, you just graduated high school, man. I graduated high school longer ago than I would like to admit. I'll say this. We ju I just got added to a Facebook group about my 25th anniversary. Uh, if that tells you anything about how old I am, um, you will be amazed how few of those people that you've done life with so closely you're going to keep in deep touch with. Um, does that mean that all those people weren't real friends? I don't think that's the case at all. It just means they were friends that were there in the season of life where you did school together. Man, you walked through stuff together. You were in class together. You were in PE together. You were trying to stay awake in chemistry together, right? Like, you, you, you had shared experiences, and so those shared experiences led to, to a friendship, and now you're going to have different experiences. Um, and that doesn't mean that, that God didn't use those people in your life. It doesn't mean those people didn't really love you or weren't really there for you. It just means they weren't designed to be ride or die forever people. Uh, and, and so God's going to bring people in your life and out of your life. Uh, man, if you've been in church for any length of time, you see people come and you see people go. And it sucks. I hate it. I mean, I, it, it hurts every time. I get it. But the reality is it's, it's just natural. We're going to do Discovery 401 after second service and, and welcome about 10 people into our church as members today. Uh, and, and I tell them every time in that class, and it seems so ridiculous, but we start talking about, man, you're not, probably not going to be a member at City Church for the rest of your life. Most of us probably aren't going to die as members of City Church. A few of us maybe will, right? And we're not, like, looking forward to that death either. That's not a great celebration. Um, but maybe some of us will be here the rest of our lives. But statistically, 
Most of us probably won't. There will be a season where we move on, whether that's a physical move, whether that's a, a leadership transition takes place at the church, and we decide, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to stick around for this new season, whether that's just God moves you to a new place to use you in a new place, or God forbid it's because somebody here hurts you. And that pain is so deep that you can't be here anymore, right? Like, the, the chances are most of us will probably move on. So when we do, let's end relationships well. Let's love each other. Let's, let's not have to hide out from each other when we bump into each other at Kroger or at Target, right? Like, let's, yeah, we, we don't have to duck. We don't have to hope that we can find a big enough tub of ice cream to put in front of our face, right, so they don't see us. Um, just because we don't worship in the same building anymore doesn't mean we're not brothers and sisters in Christ anymore. We're going to worship together for eternity. Certainly, we can be polite and cordial and kind when we bump into each other in the community. Um, and, and so, how do you recover from this? Well, well first of all, there's, there's some truth here that things are for a season. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 very famously says that there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. And it goes on and on and talks about a time for all of these different things. There is a time and there is a season, and even for relationships, there is a time and there is a season. How do you recover? You gotta have faith that God's still got something for you. God's not done working in your life. Um, I, I would encourage you this, and sometimes it's hard when that there, there's a wound there, there's a hurt there, there's a void there. Be grateful that they were there in the first place. Instead of being so hurt and angry that the season has ended, celebrate and thank God that the season existed. God, this person was a blessing to me. God, this person made a difference in my life, and maybe things are going to look different. And sometimes those things can be restored, and we always want to pursue restoration. It doesn't mean that every time a relationship feels like it's ended, that it has ended, because uh, we do serve a God of restoration. But even if it doesn't get restored, God, I, I, I thank you for bringing so-and-so into my life. I thank you for the difference they made. I thank you for the way that I'm more like Jesus because they were there. God, I thank you for all the stupid times we laughed and the inside jokes that we had and, and all the ways that you used this person, this family, this whoever it might be in my life. But we got to celebrate what God has done. We got to have faith that God's not done with us and, and trust that the same God that brought them into your life is going to bring somebody else into your life or already has brought somebody else into your life that he's going to start using, maybe not in the identical way, but in a new way, in a way that you need for this new season. Man, the, the, the walk is not by sight, it's by faith. And we got to trust that, that God loves us enough and has a good enough plan for our life that he's not going to let some human decision derail us from where he's trying to take us. He's not going to let somebody else's choice prevent us from walking in all the stuff that he ordained for us to have, for that he destined for us to have. He's not going to let that happen. He's a good God. And he saw this coming. We may not have seen it coming. Most of the time, I'm blindsided, right? Like, I'm, I'm naive, and, and I just think everything's good, and everybody loves each other. And, man, when, when relationships end, usually I didn't see it coming, or at least not for very long. Um, but God always knew. He knew, I'm going to see you through this. I'm going to get you to the other side of this. I'm going to bless you even in spite of this situation. Question four is a three-part question. Um, we'll do part A and then B and then C. A says this, if someone hurts you over and over again, you see kind of a theme here with hurt, 
over a long period of time, like weeks, months, or even years, and you talked to them about it and forgave them, how do you get out of that situation in the least amount of pain possible? So, so first of all, props for, for talking to them about it and, and taking the step to forgive. Let, let me say this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is both a process, or excuse me, a decision and a process. So when you say you forgave them, you probably told them you forgive them. Um, but it sounds like there's still some hurt there. And so if there's hurt there, there might still be some more things to forgive. Uh, the reality is a lot of times we can forgive somebody one day and then the hurt comes back again the next day. And what's that hurt mean? It means I got to forgive them again. Right? Like I got to continually keep on forgiving them. Jesus says you got to forgive 70 times 7, right? And we think of that as, man, somebody's got to do 490 different things to me to forgive them 490 different times. Sometimes they only got to do one thing. But man, that one thing hurts so much and keeps popping back up and that root keeps coming. I got to forgive them and forgive them and forgive them and forgive them. And, and so don't, just because you articulated the words, I forgive you, don't just assume that all that forgiveness is taking place. Um, now, I don't know this person's heart and I don't know this person's situation. Maybe all that forgiveness really has taken place. But I know for many of us, we've got to continually forgive uh, as those hurts come up. Now, the question is specifically is how do you get out of this situation in the least amount of pain possible? We'll come back to that. Question B, how do you move on from that person? Uh, and then question C is how do you heal from the pain and or trauma that they caused you? So how do you get out of the situation? How do you move on? And how do you heal? Um, well, it's funny that Dwindle already referenced this. I, I want to share with you 1 Peter 5, 7, but I'm going to do something I very, very, very rarely do. I want to show it to you in the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible uh, is a Bible that digs into the meanings of the words in Greek and Hebrew from the Bible, from the original text, and, and expands on them. Instead of just selecting one piece of the definition of that word, it's going to give you pretty much the whole definition of that word to give you some more understanding. So 1 Peter 5, 7 says this. It says, casting all your cares, and then parentheses, what are cares? It says all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all. So Dwindle talked, I love that illustration he gave, man. I mean, you, you're bench pressing, and, and you got to hand it to somebody else. You can't just let it go, uh, or, or you're going to be in a lot of pain. You're going to be in a bad situation. you got to hand it to somebody. And so, yes, we've got to hand our cares, our anxieties, our worries, our concerns. I think we could expand on this. Your pain, your trauma, your hurt, your resentment, your questions, Casting all of those onto him once and for all. Why? For he cares about you. We don't just give it to him because he's capable, which is his greatness, right? He can take that 250 pounds with, with one finger, right? Like, like he can grab a hold of that. He's capable of it. Praise God, he's capable of it. But we cast it on him because he's willing. His heart is for us. He cares for us. That's his goodness. And so it's God's greatness in conjunction with his goodness that brings so much power into our lives. Uh, so his goodness is with deepest affection, watching over you carefully. He's for you. So you don't have to carry that thing by yourself. You don't have to carry that trauma by yourself, that hurt by yourself. Would you go ahead and put the, the A part of that question back up? I want to read the, the context again very quickly. It says this uh, in question 4A. If someone hurts you over and over and over again. Anybody in this 
room ever been hurt over and over and over again by the same person? All of us, right? We're good at this. We, 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 we are skillful at hurting people over and over again. And let, let, let me just pause right here. I think one thing that's helpful is to understand that we do these things too. When it comes to hurt, man, we, we always want to look and point the finger and, and, and so-and-so did this to me and so-and-so did that to me. And, and the reality is we hurt people. Um, in fact, oftentimes it's hurting people who do hurt people. And so if they're hurting us, it may be out of their own hurt. Have you ever had somebody hurt you over and over and over again? I'll give you one example from my life, and there's, there's a few different ways I could go with this, but many of you know that my mom passed in January, and one of the, the things that, that hurt me, and it seems so silly that this hurt me, but it did, and it isn't a lot of times it's the silly things, like it's the little things. It's not always like the, the abuse and the molestation, which obviously those things hurt on a deep, massive level, but sometimes it's just that little irritating thing, that thing that just doesn't make sense, that, that continually hurts us. So um, my mom was the first person who told me I was going to be called into ministry. I mean, she told me I was going to be a pastor as far back as I can remember. I don't know when God told her or how she knew, but, but she knew I was going to be a pastor. Her father was a pastor. She was a PK, a pastor's kid, and somehow she just knew from an early age. She didn't say it to any of my other siblings, and none of them are, are in ministry, but, but she said it to me. God just revealed that to her. Um, and at first, I, I didn't want anything to do with that. In fact, when I finally, like, yielded to my call to ministry, the hardest part was admitting to mom she was right. Uh, like... As silly as that is. Um, but fast forward, I move out here in uh, the end of September of 2005. I become youth pastor here. And so over mom's lifetime, I was here for, I don't know, 17 and a half years where they would come to visit every couple of years. And the vast, I would say 80 to 90% of the times that they came to visit, uh, she wouldn't come to hear me preach. Uh, she, was, she would have a reason. She was too tired from the road trip. She had a headache. She had this or she had that. And every time my mom wouldn't come, it, it broke me. Like it hurt me. It felt like a, a rejection. This is the person who first affirmed I would do this. She should be the one who's most excited. She should be the one who's most pumped up. I mean, I got all these random people who come to hear me preach. Why can't my mom come hear me preach? Not that I don't know disrespect intended random people. I'm just saying, <laughs> y'all come out of your own choice, right? Like, you come because you, you want to be here, and I'm so grateful that you do, but it, it just seemed like mom should want to be here, like that she would fight through whatever thing. In fact, multiple times she would even come and, and then leave before the message, and that would really suck. Uh, and so I know what it's like to be hurt over and over and over again by the same situation, the same person. And, and I finally got to a place somewhere probably three, four, five years into our marriage where I finally just had to be okay with it. Like it just, it kept hurting. And I just had to accept this, this is what's going to happen. Mom's not going to come hear me preach. And that's okay. I don't need my mom to hear me preach as much as I would love for her to hear me preach. As much as I would love to have that acknowledgement from her afterwards, man, what you said was so good and so encouraging, and as much as that would make a, a great blessing in my life, I, got, I had to get to a place where I just told God, okay, I'm good if it never happens. Because otherwise, I just kept opening up to get hurt again and again and again. 
And it would be this black cloud over those Sundays, right? Like it would overshadow everything that God was doing. It's like God opened this door for me to be used by him. He blessed me with people who don't want to hear what I have to say. I don't know how that happened, but thank you for valuing what I have to say, for for caring enough to be here. It means something to me. And so I don't know what that looks like in this individual's life. But I know there are times where we just have to accept this person is probably not going to change. Like outside of a supernatural move of God, which we never close the door on that. God can restore anything. God can breathe new life into anything. But unless God does a miracle, my mom's probably never coming back to my church. And that was a hard thing to accept. That was a hard place to get, but it was also freeing. Because now I didn't have to have that black cloud hanging over every one of those situations. Now I could celebrate the people that God does have in my life for this thing, rather than regret the one that doesn't seem to be interested. And I hope that makes sense. I hope that applies to whatever your situation is in, that you can find some some encouragement there. And maybe that's not encouraging to say, hey, just accept it's never going to change. But I do think it's freeing. Uh, that that you don't have to carry that burden, that you can just give it to God. And, I mean, obviously, yes, you leave the door open. God, if you want to do this, it would be awesome, right? Like, I'd be thrilled if this changes, and I I can stand up there one day and say, I was wrong, and it wasn't over. Um, But sometimes, I think especially with family situations, when we're talking about somebody who's been the same way for for decades, um, there's some peace that comes with just accepting, okay, this may not change. And even if it doesn't change, God, I'm okay with it. Even if it doesn't change, God, you're good, and you've been good to me. Um, Now, please, don't misunderstand. If you're talking about uh, a salvation situation, don't ever give up on somebody who's lost. I'm I'm not telling you to just accept they're never coming to Jesus. That is not what I'm saying. Man, believe and stand and pursue and pray that God is going to set that person free. Please don't misapply what I'm saying. I'm just talking about hurtful situations. Um, man, I, I absolutely believe it is God's will for that lost loved one to come to Jesus, and we're going to stand with God's will and continue to pursue that uh, until the day that they're not here anymore. Uh, it's not too late. So uh, how do you move on from that person? I, I think it's really it's kind of the same way, right? Like we, we cast our cares on Jesus. We, we accept, hey, this probably isn't going to change, uh, and so I'm going to find somebody who is life-giving, a, a situation that, that, that is encouraging, um, and take those steps. Now, if it's a family situation, obviously, those are tougher, and, and you may not need to fully move on. You may just need to have a change of heart where that thing can't hurt you anymore. Um, but if it's a non-family situation, then you may be able to move on and take those steps and, and move forward. Last question here was, do you, how do you deal from the pain and or trauma that they caused you? Depending on how deep that is, you might need to get professional help. Uh, we've got a list of, of counselors that we recommend here at City Church, and we give that list out often uh, because there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of brokenness in our world. Please don't think you've got to just suck it up and do it yourself. Please don't think that you can just pray your way through every situation on your own. Uh, I believe that God heals. I believe that God does what only God can do. But I also believe that God expects us to do what we can do. Uh, he, he, he always gives us a role to play in our own healing. Uh, and so sometimes that role is, is counseling. Sometimes that role is accountability. It's telling somebody how we've messed up, how we've blown it, how we need help, whatever it might be. And so uh, pursue that. 
Um, last question, question number five for you today before we pray and then come back for our, our final bonus question. Uh, it says, I have religious trauma in a way. So I need help trusting that Christians are not all bad. How? This one, this one breaks my heart. In fact, this person gave me some additional context that they didn't want me to share with the church. Um, but this person has been hurt pretty deeply by somebody pretty significant in their life that represented Jesus for them. It's like, if they would do this, if they'd abuse me like this, if they'd hurt me like this, how can I trust anybody else? How can I ever allow anybody else to, to be used by God in my life? Because I, I got a wall up. I got a barrier up. I'm trying to protect myself from going through this again. How can I trust that Christians aren't all bad? Well, let me give you this, and this is applicable to all of our prior questions as well. I think this is maybe the most important and best advice I can give in any of these situations. First of all, you need to know this, that Jesus understands our pain. You may have seen the Super Bowl ad, right? He gets us. He does. It's not just a catchy saying. It's the truth. God didn't just stay in heaven and look down and give us a list of rules on here's what you have to do. He actually came. The Son of God actually came and experienced life on earth. He knew what it was like to be human. The only difference between our humanity and his is that he didn't come with a sin nature and he didn't fall. But, but outside of that, he experienced the same hurts, the same betrayals, the same abandonment, the, the, the same stuff, the same pain that we go through. We don't know how old, but, but we believe that his earthly father, Joseph, passed while he was here. He experienced the loss of a parent who poured into him, who trained him up to be a carpenter, who was there and treated him as his own son, even though he wasn't biologically his son. He, he experienced that. He experienced betrayal by one of his closest friends who sold him out to die. Every hurt, every pain, every trauma that we experience, Jesus is familiar with. He gets it. Why can he be the perfect comforter, the perfect healer, the perfect companion as we go through pain? Because he's already suffered it. He knows what it's like. He's not a God who is distant. He's not a God who's just trying to tell us how to do all the right things and live this moral life. He's a God who loved us enough that he came and experienced life in our shoes. You've probably heard the, the phrase, right? Like, you want to know what it's like to be somebody? Don't, don't, don't judge them until you walk a mile in their shoes. Well, Jesus walked a lot of miles. He came and experienced our life. Isaiah 53 prophesies it this way in verse 3. It says that he was despised and rejected by mankind. Ever been despised? Ever been rejected? Jesus was despised and rejected not just by one person, but by a multitude of people. It says that he was a man of suffering. Not just he's a, a guy who suffered a little bit. He was a man of suffering. And he was familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. 
He was despised and held in low self-esteem. Now, for anybody, that's a, that's a rough bio. That's, that, that's a difficult epitaph to have attached to any of us. But especially when you're God. Especially when you're the only one who never hurt anybody. You're the only one who never betrayed anybody. You're the only one who, who never made a promise and didn't keep it. You're the only one who never gossiped about somebody and hurt them behind their back. You're the only one who never let anybody down, and yet everybody let you down. He gets us. And so whatever your hurt, whatever your pain, whatever your trauma, you can trust it. To Jesus because he understands the brokenness and the depravity of human nature more than you and I ever will by the way a whole lot of Jesus' betrayal and hurt was at the hands of Christians was at the hands of people who, who said they worshipped God was at the, in fact the, the, the Pharisees were the ones who, who saw to it that he was crucified they were the ones who, who thought they were the greatest at worshipping his daddy they thought they were representing his father and doing it on God's behalf. Sometimes Christians hurt. Sometimes Christians fail. Recent situation in the news. The pastor in our community who failed spectacularly, molested kids, hurt people. And I can't wrap my brain around it. I can't understand how that can happen, but I know this. We serve a God that heals. That is not related to this question, by the way. That's just my own mind going there. So that, that's not what this person's talking about. So understand this. Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. Um, sometimes I, I think we project this image, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, that, that somehow because we're Christians, we're better than the world. And we're not. We're just as broken and just as messed up and just as flawed as anybody else. We've just received grace. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we have the ability to be good. We have the ability to do well, and we should. There's a higher standard for on us as believers. And, and so this isn't an excuse to go out and hurt people and just be like, well, I'm just a broken, fallen bro person. I'm just sinful like anybody else. That's not what I'm saying. But... But the reality is a lot of people who represent Jesus don't live like Jesus. And we can get into, hey, whether they were really saved or not, and some of them yes, some of them maybe no. That's not really pertinent to this question. Um, let me say this. Despite the brokenness and despite the pain, I am absolutely a firm believer that Christians have done a whole lot more good than harm. Man, the... The, the most brilliant universities in the world were founded by Christians to set up ministry centers. The greatest hospitals, in fact, the whole hospital movement was because of the church. The church created hospitals to, to be a blessing for the sick. We can trace through human history over the past 2,000 years and anywhere where the gospel went, people were elevated. Anywhere where the gospel went, abuse went down. Anywhere where the gospel went, eventually slaves were set free. Slavery was a worldwide thing. Anywhere where the gospel went, man, things got better. The, the place of women has been elevated. If you look globally right now, where, where are women most misused, mistreated, and abused? It's in places that don't worship Jesus. 
Doesn't mean that Christians always get it right in our treatment of women. Doesn't mean that we've never been guilty. We absolutely have. But if you compare on a global scale between Christian communities and non-Christian communities, there is always better treatment of people in the places where Jesus has been received. Always, always, always. Are we perfect? No. Are we flawed? Massively. But the church has done a whole lot more good than it's done harm. And so I would trust in the church. The reality is you can turn your back on Christians and say Christians hurt and Christians are hypocrites and Christians have betrayed me and it's not worth it, but you're not going to find anything better out there. You're not going to find a world that treats you better, that loves you more, that honors you, that brings fulfillment and peace into your life outside of Jesus. Does that mean that everything's perfect inside the church? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we need to relax and not keep striving to be more like Jesus? No, we've got to be better. Man, we've got to deal with sin. We've got to be accountable. We can't let these things persist in the church, but please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to use one Christian or a small number of Christians who have betrayed you, who have hurt you, who have let you down to, to cut you off from the blessing of all these other people who truly will love you. Who, who truly will sacrifice for you, who will be there for you. Don't you dare let that happen. Ultimately, understand this. Our faith must always be built on Jesus, not on people. People are going to fail. People are going to fall. People are going to let us down, but Jesus never will. And I believe if we'll lean into him, if we'll allow him to, to get to those hurt areas, those traumatic areas, he's going to do what only he can do, and he's going to continue to bring people into our life who will do a whole lot more good than harm, who will be a blessing to us. I can look out on this room and I can see so many people that have blessed my life, who prayed for my kids, poured in to my family. You've been there for me. You've given encouragement and prayers and, and so many things. I am so blessed to be part of the body of Christ. Do I have some church hurt? Yeah. Here, hey, let, me, let me let you in on a little secret. Nobody's got more church hurt than pastors because nobody deals with more church people than pastors do. Uh, so you think church hurt's a thing? Yes, it is a thing. But I've got so much more church blessing. I've got so much more church healing. I've got so much more that God has used the church of Jesus to do in my life. Don't give up on Christians. We're flawed and we're broken, but God's using us. And he's got a plan for us, and he'll use them in your life if you'll let him. Would you pray with me?